He's grateful. As we come this morning to God's word and to his unfolding of his plan of redemption through history, we have a God who speaks. We have a God who is not silent, and he has never been silent, and he has been speaking and revealing and unveiling and calling us through the ages as he is creating a people for himself. So as we come this morning, we are in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 12. Hear then the word of God. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Pray with me. Father in heaven, as we come again this morning to your word, we come with open hearts. We come to hear. We come to be captured by your word, by your truth, by your spirit being poured out again and capturing our hearts and our minds with the truth and the power of the gospel of your kingdom. And Father, we pray and ask that you would set us on fire. Give us a hunger and a thirst for the things of Christ. We ask, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God is a God who speaks and he is not silent. And he has been speaking about the greatness of our salvation and of his redeeming love from, from the very beginning of time. And here in, uh, in Peter, as he has been trying to unpack this for the first part of his letter, as he writes to Christ's church, who, who live in a world very much like ours, a hostile world, a, a government that was not necessarily Christian or following God, in the midst of a, of a, of a culture that could persecute and and, and marginalize them to a people who knew what it was to suffer, not only under those things, but under the normal trials of life. And as he tries to paint for them a picture of the greatness of the salvation that has called them out and bound us together as the people of God, Peter addresses this church and he reminds us of God's word. He reminds us of the story of Jesus and of the cross who He is and what He has done, that is greater than anything that was dreamed of, even by the prophets. As He points out, the prophets who were tasting of these things and being spoken to of this salvation, and they had gotten part of it, but it was greater than anything that they had dreamed or come to understand. Even the angels, it says, long to look into these things. They're bending over. The word is that they're, they're, they're turning over their shoulder. They're trying to look at these things. That they don't have a direct experience of them for themselves. The things that concern us in our salvation. And he speaks of this hunger of God's people to know. The prophets who were giving, given pieces and tastes. The hunger of God's people to know and to proclaim his word. But what they had... And what we have is vastly different. These prophets of old, you know, these who 
who searched and inquired because they only had bits and pieces. When you and I have a fullness that they only dreamed of, literally searched for, longed for, hungered for, a complete revelation of Christ and His coming and of His work and of His salvation. And so part of it is I read this this week and I'm thinking through and, 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 and trying to understand what it is God is saying to, to His people. I think He is speaking to us of that hunger. The hunger for His Word. The hunger for the Christ who is at the center of that Word. A hunger to know the things that concern Him and His, his great salvation. That really is the big story of all things in all times and so he talks about this in verse 10 as he says concerning this salvation the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be ours to be yours they searched and they inquired this this concerning this salvation it's a salvation that he spoke of in the verse before that leads into it where he says that we are not seeing Jesus right now but we believe we're not seeing him but we love him and we're filled with this joy and this inexpressible sense of his glory and we're obtaining the outcome of our faith which is the salvation of our souls he says this is the salvation the prophets have been looking into for millennia longing for and hungering for this salvation that Peter has been unfolding in the first part of this whole letter to them a chosen people foreknown and sanctified brought to the obedience of the gospel and covered in the blood of Jesus, a people who have been born again by an almighty power of God and brought into a living hope and into an inheritance that never perishes, spoils or fades because God keeps it just as he guards his people and keeps us for it. And he holds these things together as a a salvation that is ready to be revealed when Christ comes. And we simply wait like a farmer waits for his crop to come in. We simply wait for the fullness of time. As they waited for the fullness of time for Christ to come the first time, we wait in the fullness of time for him to come again. These things are always true. They're always cause for joy. The glory of this salvation that he is describing, he says, and Paul says in so many different ways, outweighs everything. Everything. Everything else in our experience, everything else on the earth, everything else that we have to deal with. But Paul says they're light and momentary compared to the glory and the weight of what God is doing and what God has planned. No eye has seen, no ear has heard. It hasn't even entered into the imagination. This salvation that is irrevocable, the promises that are unshakable, the keeping power of God that is irresistible. And he warns his people to understand That to follow Jesus is the way of the cross. To understand that to follow Jesus is to follow in the way of Jesus, and that is that his suffering preceded his glory. And that even though, as he says, that this salvation is true, and that in these things we rejoice, even though now for a time there is a crucible of suffering that we have to pass through in this world, that this life throws at us. It's things here are not the way they're supposed to be. We live in a broken world, a cursed world, a world where sin has entered in and, and corrupted everything and everyone and taints everything, even the good things. And it tends toward that corruption that is death. 
And here our faith is tested. And the path to heaven passes through the crucible of this life. And we are melted and we are changed and we are sanctified as we know him and we love him and we walk with him in the midst of these things. He goes on to say that this salvation, this is God's plan of redemption. And it's not a Johnny come lately. It's not something that is new arrival on the seed. It's not something that the, even the New Testament people were thinking up. But this is something that God, this is the story of the whole Bible that he is, that he is saying that we've entered into a fullness of this thing. But this, this is a story from Genesis chapter 1. This is, this is the story not only of the whole Bible, but of the whole world. It is what God is doing. It is where we are going as a world. God's plan has been unfolding and being revealed since the very creation of the world. So for thousands of years, he tells us, it is the spirit of Christ in them indicating and predicting the sufferings of Christ. It's the spirit of Christ in the prophets revealing and prophesying of God's grace to come. And so the prophets of old there in verse 10 and 11, the prophets who prophesied about this grace, they searched and they inquired carefully. They were looking for, inquiring into what person or what time the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing to, indicating when he predicted, when he revealed and showed the sufferings that Christ would experience and the glories that would follow. This story of salvation has been unfolding like the rising of the sun. It's been getting brighter and brighter. It's really interesting to be in in, uh, Greg's class on on the covenants and their application to our lives. I thought the class this morning was was really excellent and tying together some of that and really bringing in how, how those covenants affect how we live every day. But those covenants were like the rising of the sun. And we looked at how Adam and what was given to him and what he knew and then what was given to Noah and what he knew and what he added to that and then what was given to Abraham and how there was an explosive jump as God called a single man and more of the promise and the understanding of the gospel is given to him where Paul will actually say God preached the gospel ahead of time to Abraham. You know, and then the unfolding is, is the Mosaic Covenant comes in. And it's like the rising of the sun is more and more is understanding is added. But there are promises throughout each of those covenants, statements that are made pointing ahead, saying, this is what I am doing. This is where we are going. This is the one who is coming. So much so that these prophets are searching and inquiring carefully. They know a person is coming. They know a time is coming. The Spirit of Christ is in them is in Moses, is in Abraham, is in Adam, pointing to the day. It is Christ himself. It's interesting to me. It's the spirit of Christ who is in them pointing ahead. Right? The lamb who would come, the lamb who would become incarnate, the son of God, the word of God, God the son who would become incarnate for our salvation is the one at work from Genesis, revealing his own sufferings, speaking to us of what it will be that he will endure for us and for our salvation. It's Christ himself. Clowney, Ed Clowney, it's there in your bulletin under the second point, says this, it's not only does prophecy bear witness to Jesus, but it is Jesus who bears witness through prophecy. It is Christ who has been speaking through the ages and through the Testaments. 
Christ speaking to us of his own work, of his own ministry. God the Son, who if you look at verse 20 in the same chapter here, it says in verse 20, He, that is Jesus, was foreknown before the foundations of the world. He was only made made manifest in these last times for your sake, for you, for us, and our salvation, but he was foreknown before the beginnings of the world. And so it is Christ who is the Word of God, revealing the plan of God, revealing himself and the salvation that he would purchase with his own blood. And so John Stott says, and I think it is part of what Peter wants us to get out of this. I thought he said it so well. John Stott says, one Lord through the ages. One great plan of salvation. One revealed message. Jesus is the spirit of the prophets. And the message of the prophets was the sufferings and the glories that would follow. One Lord through the ages. One great plan of salvation. One message heralded by the prophets. Old of old and now announced by the apostles through Christ. The same thing that the apostles are proclaiming now was that to which the Spirit of Christ at work through the ages is proclaiming. All of it focused on the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So all of the Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, is the coming of Christ. The sufferings and the glories of the Savior. This is what Jesus tells them. It is, it's fascinating to me when Jesus finally shows up on the scene. He's no longer working by his spirit in the prophets, but he stands in the presence of his church. And he stands in the presence of, of Israel and the apostles. And even as he, in, in Luke chapter 24, it's there in your bulletin. It's, this is after his resurrection, after he has suffered after he has risen and he walks on the road to Emmaus with his apostles. And he says this, You foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You don't get it. This is what they've been talking about. This is what they have been pointing to. Right? Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things, and then enter into His glory. And there it is, what Peter is talking about, the prophets pointing to the sufferings and the glories that would follow. Jesus says the same thing. That Christ would suffer and He would enter into His glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted them in all of the Scripture, the things that are concerning Himself. He started with Moses. Isn't that, I mean, that's, you have to think, Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And He says He began with Moses. That means those books to show him that what Genesis says about Jesus, what Exodus says about Jesus and his sufferings and his glory, right? His coming and his coming salvation. That when Moses writes of the promise that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head and yet his heel would be bruised, that he's talking about Jesus, And starting in the prophets, starting with Moses. When Abraham doesn't have to sacrifice his son, but God says, I'm not a God who who likes that kind of sacrifice. I'm not a God like the gods around here. Now you know. I'm not a God like the gods who demand the sacrifice of your children. I will provide a sacrifice. God himself will provide a lamb. Moses, I'm sure Jesus pointed out to them, I am that lamb. 
I'm the son who is given so that you don't have to give yours. You don't have to give your life. No other sacrifice is necessary. So beginning with Moses and all the prophets, and that's a whole study in itself. But there is this picture throughout that Jesus is pointing and speaking and driving toward the day that he would come and walk the earth, live the life we failed to live, die our death on the cross to bear our sins in his own body, that he would rise again to the right hand of the Father. These Old Testament revelations, at some level, they are mysterious. And we'll give, we'll give you that. I know Jesus rebukes them. He tells them that they're foolish and they're slow of heart to believe. But what he is saying is that you guys had enough. And they did get enough. That this generation that was there when Jesus came should have had a better idea that they were waiting for him. And should have embraced him. But there is a mysteriousness to it in the sense that it wasn't a full revelation. It's not complete. It's not entirely complete. Knowledge of the Messiah was like the rising of the sun. It did get brighter and brighter, but a lot of the details were obscured. And they didn't know his name, and they didn't know the time, and they didn't know exactly what it was he would suffer, or even why he would suffer. They knew the Messiah would be a son of David. They knew that he would suffer and that he would triumph. They knew that he would save his people. They knew that he would be a blessing to the nations. They, they knew a bunch of stuff and they gathered it together as they waited for this one. And what they knew awakened in them a hunger to know more. Right? They, they wanted to know more. They searched and they inquired. God had told them enough that made them hungry. A savior a king, a redeemer, one who would come for us. And so they hungered and they sought and they searched about who he would be. They wanted to see God's great king. They wanted to see the glory of those days when God would show up in this redeemer king and bear his holy arm for the salvation of his people. And they wanted to see it. They longed and they looked forward to the day. And this this idea that they searched and inquired in verse 10 are very strong words. They searched and inquired. They, They were seeking after. They were hunting for. They inquired or they investigated thoroughly. They were like a, a hound with its nose on the scent as they went after this. This is, this is what consumed their attention. This is what captured their imagination. This is what they, this is in a sense what they lived for. God's promises and what God was doing and when God was coming. They wanted to see and to experience the fulfillment of God's saving promises. And Jesus affirms and he speaks of the longing and the expectation that these guys had. Right In Matthew 13, 17, it's there in your bulletin under the second point. Jesus says, truly I say to you, there were many prophets and righteous people who longed to see what you're seeing. There were people who have been hungering and thirsting for for the knowledge that you have right now, for the experience that you have right now, for the things that you are able in this moment to see and embrace. They have been hungering for these things. They longed to see what you see and they did not see it. They longed to hear what you hear and they did not hear it. It is they longed for Jesus. John 8.56, he said, Your father Abraham, again going back to the first chapters of Genesis, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and he was glad, but he saw it from afar. 
So Hebrews 13, 11, 13, it says all of these, that is, if you read the great hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 that starts with Abraham and all the people of faith through the whole Old Testament, the great hall of faith, all of these people died in faith, not having received the things that were promised, but they saw them and they greeted them from afar. They believed in and they celebrated the promises of God and they waited and longed for their fulfillment. Not just the prophets, he tells us, but in verse 12, even the angels. Right, things into which the angels long to look. There is a wonder about this grace. There is a wonder about this salvation. And the prophets weren't serving themselves because they're looking for something that's far off and it was revealed to them that they were our servants. That they're serving the, the, another generation. They're serving the church of generations to come as they unfold this brighter and brighter mystery of what God is doing through the ages. Let me just point out that that doesn't mean that they did not experience the benefits of the gospel, that these guys had enough of God's revelation that they believed, were told Abraham believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness, imputed to him as righteousness. We say this is the essence of the gospel, the essence of the New Testament, that those who trust in Christ, right, there's the great exchange. He who had no sin became sin for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. He took our sin, we get his righteousness. And we're told that that's how Abraham was saved. It was credited to him by faith that he was righteous. So there is this salvation that they experience the benefits of the gospel. They're looking forward to a Christ that they cannot name. They're looking forward to a time that they don't know when it's going to come. But they're looking for the same Jesus, the same Savior, the same promised one of God, the same one who would bear our sins and save us. They trust in God's promises and they're saved by His grace through faith. But the New Testament then is a little bit of, the, of an answer to a riddle, right? It's a solving of a mystery. That these guys got just enough that they were looking ahead. And so there is this sense of, of uh, glimpsing now in its full reality what was only a shadow in the Old Testament. What was prophesied is fulfilled. What was shadow is reality. What they were looking forward to now becomes our common current experience. So 1 Corinthians 2.7, there in your bulletin, it says, we impart to you a secret, a mysterion, a mystery, a mystery that was hidden, the hidden wisdom of God, which he declared and decreed before the ages for our glory. Right? God wants us to see ourselves as he wanted to see, as Peter is writing to this church again where we are, and he wants to paint this picture and to say, you know what, you guys live in this moment of time Right? You guys are experiencing suffering as Christ's church. And he said, but you need to understand that this is what God has been doing since the world was created. Right? It's a mystery, as he says, that was hidden. It's a hidden wisdom of God that was decreed before the ages for his glory. That you are part of something so much bigger than yourselves. You know, it's not just about you and Jesus in one sense. You are part of something that God has been doing since he created the world. And you've been invited into it at this moment. And part of what Greg has been saying as we look at the covenants and, and is, is asking that question of what time is it? You know, where do I fit in the, in, in, in the moment of this story? And what time it is, is, is you have to get a sense of what went for the 11 hours. You know, we might be at the 11th hour. 
what went on for those other 11 hours as we live out in what sense the New Testament calls it the last days. And it's the last days of, 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 of a plan that governs all of history. We impart to you um, Ephesians 3. We bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mysterion hidden from the ages for the ages in God who created all things. And now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but it's now been disclosed through the prophetic writings. It's been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. In other words, Jesus is building his church. Right? It's, been, it's this revelation of the ages that is, that is in force right now. And he says, to him who is able to strengthen us according to his gospel. Somehow Peter thinks that, that bringing us into this story, Peter thinks that, that bringing us into this knowledge that the, prof, the Spirit of Christ has been at work in the prophets throughout history. God has been building his church throughout history. God has been unfolding his plan of salvation throughout history. God, there is one Lord of the ages, one king, one faith, one baptism. Right? There's one thing that God has been doing. There's one Christ and one salvation. And, and you are at a dynamic point in the history of what God is doing. And, and in Peter's mind, this is to the strengthening of his church. As we find our place in the history of redemption, as we find our place in the unfolding of God's plan, that we are the fruit, a chosen people, a holy nation, created according to his purposes. That he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And so these are the things that I think that he is pointing us to. Let me just touch a few things as we wrap up that whole thought. Is, is really painting this, I think that Peter wants to paint this picture of this redemptive history that the great prophets at Moses and David and Elijah and Elisha and Elisha, they're all searching and longing and hungering to know the Messiah. They want to know when and they want to know where. They want to know the greatness of this salvation. And what Peter is saying, you and I live at a time in history Were those things they hungered to know? You know. You have access to them. You have a New Testament. Now, Peter is writing it even as he's writing it to them. But he's saying you have the answers to these things. You have a fullness in Christ that the prophets didn't have. They long to see this day. And you get to see it. You know his name. You know him and you believe in him and you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for these things. And he says, this is to the strengthening of his church. The fullness of our inheritance. We live at a time after God has visited our world. We, we live at a time where, after which God has made known that the Savior would be himself incarnate. A time that God has given himself for us and for our sin and for our salvation. The time after Christ has risen and sits at the right hand of the Father and he reigns in power and glory. And he has already begun the building of a kingdom. And that we are then, as I was sent, so send I you. That as Jesus was sent into the world in the fullness of time, we are the extension of that sending. We are the extension of that purpose, of that mission. 
that we live in this in-between before that first coming that was longed for, and we long, hopefully, for that second coming. But we, 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 we live underneath this reigning king who is coming again to judge the world, extending his ministry and his mission. John Stott there in the last point, he says, the cosmic sweep of God's redemption is all centered in Christ, whom we know and whom we love. And so one question this morning that you do have to ask is, do I know him? Right? Peter, Paul, the New Testament, Jesus says, all these things are about me from the beginning of time. All of these things are about me. The cosmic sweep of history centering in Christ. Do we know him? Do you love him? Have you bowed the knee to the king of the ages as you put your faith in Jesus Christ for the salvation that he offers to us, the forgiveness of our sins? He says there's forgiveness in no one else. And this is what Jesus, this is what has been driving at through history, is what Christ would accomplish for us. Let me just say the two things as you go away from here that I would want you to go away with. And one is this, that Peter is striving to give more weight and meaning to, to this understanding of history. What you might call a worldview. A way, my way of thinking about yourselves and about history and about what you're doing out there day by day. Peter wants to give more weight to the meaning of these cosmic spiritual truths and of this gospel and this salvation to raise us up above the discouragement of our sorrows, you know, the, the things that we bump up against when you're disappointed or you didn't get that job or you've lost this job or you've struggled with this or you're having trouble in your marriage or your children or you're all of these things. And these are things that the church is dealing with. And Peter somehow thinks that if we could give weight, if we could give the, the full sense of the greatness of what God is doing. It will put all those things into perspective. Because these things that are always true in what God is doing. In other words, there's a sense in which we have to, all those things, not to, to in any way diminish them, is to lift our eyes on Jesus. And when we do, it says that the things of the earth grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and His grace. That in the truth of what God is doing, you know, does, do these things, while they matter immensely to me and in these moments, are brought to their knees at the purposes of God and the power and the glory of the God who is at work. He wants us to see one unified story revealed by one spirit, one salvation, one Messiah. He wants us to see an Old Testament that testifies to the same salvation that the apostles are testifying to He wants our hearts to be entranced by the weight of the glory of God's purpose in all of creation through all of time. What God is doing in building his church and calling his people and sanctifying us through the fire and bringing us to the glory. And just as the prophets here looked for and longed for the fulfillment of those promises, you and I stand perhaps with the fulfillment of some of them. But you and I stand looking ahead waiting for Jesus to come back, waiting for these things to be full. We still stand in between in the last days and things are not finished and Jesus' glory has not flooded the earth like the waters cover the sea the way that they will one day. Sin has not been defeated and put away but from my life or from this world. right? There is so much as we stand in the cauldron and in the crucible that we long for 
Christ. And so as I go from here, what I see these guys doing, what they, what they did is they searched the scriptures to know Jesus and to find hope and to find strength and to lift their eyes above themselves, to look at what God is doing, and so to wait in hope and expectation. And I want us to go away this morning with a hunger for his words, as these guys give us an example of those who search the scriptures intently to know Jesus, to discover more of him, more of his salvation, more of who he will be and what he will do. And there's a very real sense where the New Testament that's given to us, I think we take it for granted. And then like these guys, it should capture our imaginations. It should fill our hearts. So do you need hope? Open your Bible. Search the scriptures. Look for the Jesus who is there. Not just to gather information, but Christ himself meets us there. The Pharisees were told you search the scriptures daily because you think that by them you have eternal life. And sometimes I think we search the scriptures all the time because we think that the knowledge of them somehow saves us. But Jesus says, these are the scriptures that speak of me. Don't refuse to come to me and to have life. And so I think we need to be a people of the book, a people of the prophecy, a people of the revelation here where that which they longed for to be revealed and to know has been not only proclaimed by the apostles but recorded by them in the book that you hold hopefully in your hands or seated next to you on your pew or that you're thinking about it and where did I leave it? You know, wherever it is, That's where it's been recorded for us. And as these guys searched intently and inquired and longed for and hungered for that knowledge of Christ, all I know is when I dig in the way that we do in a text like this in this whole last series as we get into this book, it was written for us to feed our souls, to give us hope, to give us perspective, to renew our passion to call us to himself, to call us away from our pettiness and our petty problems and the things that we're so worried about to lift our eyes. God is building his church. He is advancing his kingdom. Christ has come and Christ will come again. And we are his sent ones and his people. And he says they will know we are his disciples when we love one another and when we are about the mission and when we are about the things that concern him and we we hunger and thirst not only for him and his word but for his coming again and we live in the hope of it. It captures our hearts and our imaginations and we hunger and thirst for a word that will set our souls on fire. Pray with me. Father in heaven, as we come this morning to sit at your feet and we hear of those who have hungered and thirsted for your word through the ages, who have sought and inquired intently and of the salvation, the Christ, the Savior who stands at the center, the one who reveals and the one who is revealed, the one who saves and the one who still captures our imaginations. Father, I pray that you would make us like the prophets. And even as Peter spoke this word of consolation to a suffering people, Father, help us to get the big picture. Help us to see you and what you are doing. Help us to forget ourselves and to fall more in love with you. Help us to get bored with ourselves and our problems and to fall in love with your kingdom and your glory. That we might lift our eyes and our hands and follow hard after you. We ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.